Welcome to Lawali Life, the podcast. I'm Alice Law, your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to decrease, manage, and get rid of stress whilst improving their professional and personal performance. I take a very holistic approach to stress management, and this podcast is based purely around stress and loss and is a mixture of conversations with leaders in their fields from top CEOs, neuroscientists, authors, and other coaches and spiritual thought leaders guiding you through how they overcame their personal stress and losses and how you can overcome yours. Today's guest is the amazing Tori Janae, who is a transformational coach, energy psychologist, and truly one of the most wise and spiritually profound people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. She is so in the know about energy and mindset and how to overcome trauma and stress, and I really hope you find her as interesting as I know everyone who gets to meet her does. Tori is a transformational coach and psychology expert, also just a basic oracle. I don't think you know more than (laughs) anyone about this stuff that I've ever met. And she lives in California, so it's so exciting to speak to you today. Well, thank you for having me here. It's an honor to be able to talk to Alice. Like She's been in my mastermind of success sisters, and it's just so exciting to actually have her here from England and be able to do this. Yeah, it's great. So first of all, I just want to ask people, you can ask people, ask you to give (laughs) you a little story overview and explain how you, you know came into this yes I'll start with the current and then we'll go back (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I am a transformational coach and psychology expert and I work with entrepreneurs who are purpose-driven to really unleash their power and make more impact income and influence in the world but how I got there was through I've got three degrees in psychology I've taught at university I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and I'm also trained in energy psychology which is a fascinating sect of psychology and how I got into all of this healing work and coaching for the last decade is that my personal story is I was born in a bad area of town to a mother who had just been in rehab for heroin addiction. Fortunately, you know, she did get over heroin in that point, but throughout her entire life, she struggled with other addictions every, you know, just pretty much everything. (laughs) And my sister followed suit and both of them passed away pretty young in their life, much much before their time, and so it really ignited a passion in me to heal myself and not become a statistic and heal my generational issues. You know, as most of us come from a family of origin, we learn how the world works, and I'd learned that life was hard and that things were difficult and there was never enough money, and I decided to go on a healing journey, and I took all the good from those experiences of seeing what could go really wrong with life and take the take back my power, really, and resilience. You know, we don't get strong by accident. (laughs) No. It's usually through the difficulty of life, and so I had a lot of... I had incredible difficulties, but I was really determined to not become a statistic. I love that about your story. It's like it was almost like sliding doors with you and your sister, you know, the possibility of what could have been and then what you've done, and it's just such an incredible determination not to be a statistic that you is flattered. Yeah, and I really just, I love to tell that story because I feel like if I can do it from the circumstances I was born into, that anyone can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we yeah. all have difficulty, but it, it can empower us to be even greater. No, it's, I mean, it's truly inspiring. So, I mean, from all that, because I know you've had a lot of 
a lot of a lot <laughs> yeah. of lessons and experiences in your life. That's, a short... that's the very short version. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your greatest loss you've had to overcome? And that could be loss from anything. It doesn't have to be grief. Just how you know? How do you define loss first of all? And what has been your greatest loss to overcome? Yeah, it's so good to look at it that way because I think we we want to define loss as just like a death. And while I've experienced lots of death, and that's been really difficult. I think my greatest loss that I had to reconcile and work through was just the loss of my childhood. I didn't really get to have the childhood that, you know, was normal. (laughs) I didn't have a mother that was normal. And while there are gifts and all of that, and I, I was able to see it, it was mourning that my life was not ever normal. Yeah. So, I mean, for you, the lack of normality in your life, what kind of effect did that have on you sort of after you realized you needed to deal with it? I think growing up, I didn't recognize how abnormal it was. Um, Subconsciously, I think I knew because I didn't tell kids or mates at school, right? (laughs) Like it was very much hidden what was going on at home, as I think it usually is when I have a parent who's an addict or a gambler, any of those things, right? We, We know intuitively as children, like that's not okay, but we don't talk about it. And then as I got older and I started to to go to people's homes and recognize like, oh, like their mom puts them to bed and they go to school dances. And like There was just all these things that I started to notice were completely abnormal. But I think when we're small, we grow up and we think it is normal. And it takes us getting out of that, getting out of our environment to see like, oh, it wasn't. And normal is such a strange word, but it's kind of like what was healthy for someone. Yeah. And I just saw that I really grew up in an unhealthy environment. And I think it's, it's so interesting when you talk about loss because it is, we both said, you know, we've both lost immediate family members and that is obviously the general thing that people think of with loss and it's a huge thing. But then the outside circle of loss, which can be anything, you know, losing a home, losing a job, losing a deal, losing a Absolutely. relationship can have seriously recurring effects if you don't deal with it. I see like what you're talking about is so powerful because... I believe that all of our decisions to transform or change ourselves come from like what I call the joking, like the four D's. Like you have a death in your family, you have a disaster, a divorce, (laughs) (laughs) or some disempowering event. God, that's so good. The four D's. That's so true. Yeah. Like you have the, it's usually when our backs against the wall and we have loss that it, it makes us stand up and want to change something. We have the choice to, to change through joy or pain, but pain is a powerful teacher. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> we try and choose to, to learn through joy more. So. Yeah, we feel disempowered. You know, when I've had clients who've gotten fired, and they were always amazing at what they did, and it was really hard on them. It really shook their self-worth and their self-esteem. Like, how could someone let me go? I mean, that's the byproduct, isn't it? They say in psychology of grief of any sort that self-esteem and self-worth is one of the first things to sort of get shattered, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that, why is that? Because that's sort of from a psychological view, is it? Because we always think that everything's about us. (laughs) (laughs) It's just very natural, right? You can walk in and maybe your boss doesn't look at you that day and you think, what did I do wrong? Did I piss them off? reactive reactive right and that's a normal thing even you know children of parents that fight a lot or get divorced they they often think it was their fault and that's just because we're very inward beings and we're always concerned about 
how we've affected the world and how we've created that, which is a, an empowering thing unless it's used wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I tend to see that as people, we love to give ourselves credit for the things that went wrong and not as much credit for the things that went right. What a hundred percent. It's, it's incredible how many friends, clients, family members, whatever, you know, who are like, this isn't going right, but like, well, this has happened and that's incredible. Oh yeah, I suppose I am quite amazing. And it's like, well, yes. Yeah, I have clients keep wind journals when they're really hard on themselves. Like I want you to every day write down three things that went right today. Yeah, and that's such a gift of gratitude, like looking for those things, actually appreciating them, which is amazing. But so for you, because, you know, great loss and essentially trauma actually first of all define trauma for people because this is a very fine line and something we always talk about because it's if people think of trauma as this disaster catastrophic event that's like a war rape um death all sorts of things but trauma is actually i mean what is trauma so i love the definition of trauma and i cannot take credit for it but there's a couple psychologists out there that have defined trauma as a disconnection from safety and because our brains are hardwired for safety, literally the strongest part of your brain is the part that wants to keep you safe, the limbic system. It is like a smoke detector, and it is always searching your environment <laughs> for any <laughs> perceived danger. So what happens is we define trauma as, you know, people have PTSD, people who've been to war, people who've experienced rape or physical assault and those are absolutely traumas those are big traumas in life yeah. and they are they take a lot of work to overcome but I, I know they can be healed and make us stronger because I've become I've come through many of them but what I see often in high performers especially is that when I dig into their childhood they do not recognize that they had any trauma mm. but maybe they had a very critical mother and they never felt good enough. And now they've spent their whole life trying to be good enough. Or they had the sibling that was the golden child. And they were never enough. They weren't as good as sports. They weren't as good at school. Or, you know, maybe a, a parent had some addiction that didn't directly affect them, but it affected the, the house life. Like, there was a lot of moving. or You know, those are all like the, what I call like more emotional traumas. Yeah. And then we can have spiritual traumas where maybe our church of origin didn't accept who we were or we, we heard a lot of negative messages about money or sexuality or any of those things. Those are those, are those like what we call traumas with a t- like lowercase t that do affect our mindset and the way we think and feel about ourselves and about life. And when we heal those, I see people just really catapult their success and and be better in their relationships and better in their jobs because they feel better about themselves. Yeah, you just got to get down to that core, don't you? Otherwise, you just can't fully move forward in the way you want to. Absolutely. But I mean, so for you, how did you overcome your trauma, your loss? Was your greatest tools and ways you did it? Because I did have a a decent amount of trauma. (laughs) It was definitely a journey. So for me, at about 20 or 21, I decided I just stumbled into a yoga class. And what I know now is is that that practice actually allowed me to start healing my body. Because when we've had a lot of trauma, like a difficult childhood, or, or especially like what we think of traditional PTSD, or the nervous system, the body is actually a little bit fried. And so yoga helped me calm down and and get out of that what we call fight, flight, freeze state. And that started the process. Then I went to to school. And of course, like most psychology majors, was trying to figure out what happened. (laughs) Why am I like this? Totally. Why did I have this crazy, like, things happen to me? 
And so I started to unpack the, the psychological aspects of it. And I was very stuck on science. And, you know, I was telling Alice yesterday, I was actually, until I was in my late 20s, I was very atheist even. I really, science was king. I just can't imagine that with you. I found that so funny <laughs> because Tori is one of the most spiritually renowned, incredible people I know. And it's just, to say that you thought that way, it's just such a journey. It just shows how life goes because it's just it, like developing whatever comes out for you. Totally. And so I had the body piece and I started to heal the mental piece. And then eventually around like my late 20s, around 30, I, I'd reached a certain level of success. You know, I had the house, I had the car, I had the husband, I had the job. I, I put myself through school. I did it all without loans. Like I, I just really killed myself to you be successful. Yeah, I killed myself to be successful. And that's what I thought would bring me fulfillment. And it didn't. And I still felt like something was missing. And that's what sent me on a journey, like, inward, through lots of bumps on the head, believe me, I'm not. <laughs> I, was, I was a super type A, like I said, science was king, like, I didn't believe in any of this stuff, but I had lived in Japan when I was around 19, and I'd been introduced to Buddhism, and, and I had done yoga, and that's a lot about, like, how do I manage my mind? Mm. And so I had a lot of mental awareness and a lot of intuition, I just didn't know what it was. And so I started to dive back into those things. And that's when I started doing the spiritual healing. And I did a lot of deep forgiveness. And I started to see my circumstances completely differently. So as a child, you know, I used to literally, I remember thinking as a little girl, like sitting alone at night while my mom was out, why me? Why is this happening to me? Like, what did I do to make this happen? Yeah. And I remember that I, that spiritually, I heard for the first time that you choose your parents. I believe that. I heard that song. I was like, I do believe that. And most most people were like, no, I didn't choose that circumstance. Right? And that, for me, that, you know, both of my parents are addicts. My sister was an addict. I was like, how could I possibly choose this? But as I, I chose to accept that and really work through it, I was like, wow, everything I went through gave me a lifetime of wisdom by the time I was 17. Yeah, I mean, you literally are an oracle, Tori. <laughs> literally, you'll be like, what book? She's like, which one? I've read 17 of those. Like... <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't have become who I was. And I believe that the universe or something greater, God, whatever you call it, put me in those circumstances to give me the most power and learning so that I could help others and I could truly have compassion for those who've suffered and struggled because I have suffered and struggled. Would you say compassion is your biggest learning from it all then? I think forgiveness has been my like lifetime thing is forgiveness is for us. It's not for the other person. It doesn't excuse what they've done, but it lets us off the hook because they quote the Buddha and I've, this is actually highly hotly debated, but they say that <laughs> unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Yeah. So forgiveness is the path to just letting go for yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to be around them. It doesn't mean you need to let them in your life. I'd had points of forgiveness. Like there was a, a point where my mom was not in my life. And I had to do a lot of forgiveness work before I ever let her back in. And there was a, I want to say a six-year period when I didn't see her at all. Wow. Yeah, that's a big gap. Yeah, and I, and I needed that to heal because there was so much trauma there. But before she died, I was actually able to reconcile with her and... When she left the planet, I felt better about it. And I'd actually asked her permission to tell her story. And she said she wanted to know her life mattered. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Oh, I just got chilled. <laughs> that's so nice. And so, yeah, it's like all the difficult she went through, you know, hurt people, hurt other people. 
And when our parents have been through trauma themselves, they don't know how to raise us properly. Yeah, it's like that thing with people always know they do the best they can know how to do. Like what you say with forgiveness, it's that, that phrase, you know, when people say, um, anger's a punishment you give yourself for someone else's mistake. Mm. You're holding on to anger or resentment and not forgiving someone. It's just it's such a toxic energy and emotion. Oh, that's really good. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does. The first time. <laughs> Yes. Um, so, okay, well, if gone down the sort of spiritual route, which I love, but what does spirituality mean to you? I have a very different view of spirituality. I believe that spirituality is radical personal self-responsibility. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Because I saw religion growing up. You know, I wasn't raised in a religious house, obviously. We weren't this, the family that went to church on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I really had an open mind, and I could go to different churches and I kind of felt like people were a little and this isn't negative I I believe religion has its place but it felt kind of disempowering and I I truly believe in you know Jesus's teaching of love and forgiveness and acceptance and that God works through us yeah and so it's always about choice and that means I have incredible amount of responsibility with my choice and how I show up in the world and how I choose to be and I can always be striving to be better And I think spirituality sometimes is giving away your power to something greater than you, but recognizing that that power wants to work through you, as you, because you're a divine being who's come here with a divine mission, even if it's just to love and get better at being the best, higher self you can. Yeah, and that's that's such an empowering way of looking at it, isn't it? And also just, I truly believe that as well. It's like that everything, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, God, higher power works through people and We'll give you the circumstances laid out and then it's your choice what you do with them and that can make your life go one way or it can make it go completely the other. Absolutely. Like I could have taken my pain and turned it into my addiction or anything else, but I took my pain and I turned it into my purpose. Yeah. Boy, did you. <laughs> Tori's amazing. But so with um, trauma then, for example, and like spiritual trauma or trauma from a childhood, how do you see that play out with stress and anxiety with high performance because it can it manifest later people think like you say I've never had a trauma <laughs> when they have and then it can turn into stress and anxiety later in life absolutely so it's very common for people who've had childhood traumas to end up in high like as high performers yeah. <laughs> it kind of goes one way or the other some people end up you know unwell and some people even including myself end up going the complete opposite so they want to prove and become everything to, to show themselves, right? So they end up in high-stress jobs. Like we know that, gosh, lots of people in corporate, lots of people actually in police and fire, they're all, they've all had trauma. And so what happens is our brain and our neural pathways and our, our nervous system get kind of set to intensity mode. <laughs> and we crave that. And we look for that comfort zone and we find it in our jobs and then in turn we create toxic stress and my joke is that most people for toxic stress like they just think that's the way it is and that's normal and that's what drives them and sometimes they're almost scared to let it go yeah because they feel like if I don't feel like this amount of pressure in my life and I don't have my back against the wall I won't perform the way that I, I need to and want to so interesting you say that because I have this conversation with clients sometimes and it's become such a kind of stress is like the backbone to what they think their success is and Absolutely. it's actually 
you're going to be so much more successful and happy and more productive. I mean, 31% more productive statistically if you're not stressed. But yes. it becomes almost like an identity of success, which is something I really think needs to change because and it's I not love- sustainable and it's not how you're going to be happy either. Exactly. And it becomes identity. And I, I believe from the research that we're doing now on neurology and biology that there's a key component there too that the body gets used to that level and it needs that level of stress to perform. But unfortunately, when you're that stressed, it becomes another form of trauma. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I worked 60-hour weeks. I built, you know, I was one of the youngest eight, like I was in human resources and I was one of the youngest people to be in my position. I was 30 years old and managing all of HR for a global company and I had like 5,000 employees on site. God, yeah. So I know, but I had been groomed biologically as a child to handle an immense amount of stress. And so I used that, that only tool and way of being that I knew how to, to, you know, transform it into success. And I find that so often. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people I have coached in LA who are so incredibly successful and so incredibly unfulfilled and stressed. Yeah. It's just, it's an epidemic, I think, anyway. It is. But it's, um, it's like you say, when it goes into that mode, so say you're trauma and then you have stress, like responses in your body go on. And I realized that recently, I was like, because I make my life out to be as calm as possible, that's what I do. <laughs> but when I had a recent trauma of losing my dad, my body went into that fight, flight or freeze and I was flight, I was actually jumping at things in the street because if I could react really quickly and I was like, right, I need to calm this down because it's your yes. body's reaction has just gone on. If someone rustles a paper cup and <laughs> you never like, wow, oh my God, what is that? It's, it's crazy. It's just an automatic biological reaction, isn't it? It is. It's our biology. And so we have to work with it. And what you said that was so powerful is that what Alice is talking about is her own self-awareness of that. And what happens most of the time is we are kind of unaware that that's what's happening. We just go into reaction mode and we don't know why. And I I live most of my life like that, like overreacting and controlling life, (laughs) not not knowing why. I know everyone just wasn't falling in line with me. (laughs) But it's that thing is it's when they say um, we have to learn how to respond, not react. Yes. And that's the biggest like space and power I think you can give yourself with like your mindset and your, and your energy as well. And it's so imperative, but not easy. And it really just takes a moment by moment awareness. And I'll teach clients like every hour, I want you to check in with yourself. How am I feeling? What's happening? What am I, what am I reacting to that I need to respond to? Yeah. And that's, it is, it's just rewiring your brain to check in with yourself is one of the biggest tools you can do. And that's what's so true is like, we do need to rewire the brain. We need to create new neural pathways that are not just in fear and stress and difficulty. Yeah. And it's, um, I always find that fascinating because, you know, if you go in and you speak to people like, you know, in a corporate or something and They'll say, you know, they're wired to think a certain way. You just give yourself 10 minutes or five minutes in the morning and put those five minutes every day. Your brain will rewire itself to a different pathway that, you know, a little mind exercise in the morning will make you happier and shift your mindset in the tiniest ways. I think people tend to think that to deal with this stuff, you have to do one huge thing. And it's really about the tiny little bits of progress, isn't it? Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think I actually resonate with that from like if I think about my past self you know that that 30 year old who was 
super stressed and looking for purpose and meaning in her life, I think I was afraid to open Pandora's box yeah. of my past and fully deal with it. Like I knew I needed to, but I was, a, I was very fearful because I'm very strong and I'm not really great. I, especially back then I was not great with vulnerability and I was, and I, I really see this in a lot of the men I work with. I was afraid I'd fall to my knees and never get back up. Yeah. And what it did was it actually empowered me more and it made me better in every area of my life. You are an incredible, incredibly strong soul. It's amazing. <laughs> so, and to use it as empowerment is such a gift. And it's a choice. And that's what people, you know, sometimes that triggers them. But that's part of why I do share my story. Like, no, honey, <laughs> I've been through some shit. And I can tell you that you can use it. You can use it. You can shift it. And I know Alice has done the same thing. But so I love talking to you about um, energy because, as you know, I love energy. And if you're an energy psychologist, which is mm-hmm. obviously a terminology not many people are <laughs> no. aware of, but it, it's it's a real thing, guys, and it's amazing. So, energetic intelligence and being aware of energy and how we use energy and how it attaches to other people. Do you think you know why is that important? You know, I I believe in it hugely. How it affects our lives and how people don't actually. They don't, don't realize that sometimes energy that's put on them can be someone else's and it's affecting their anxiety or their stress. Or yes. you know, Looking after our energy, I think, needs to become as important as looking after your teeth you know, in the morning. Like, same with your mind. Absolutely. And people recognize, they forget, they don't recognize that energy healing was the first form of healing on the planet. Was it? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So this is like we think of, you know, like... Oh, of course, yeah, because that was, like, way back when, before any medicine. And then it was the herbs, and then it was the Western. Ah. Exactly. So we knew a long time ago, and we forgot, and I get it. I mean, I went super science, too. (laughs) But, yes, we, we know from physics we are all made of energy, and it can never be destroyed or created. So we have to manage what we have. And our emotions create energy. The food we eat creates energy. So I'd say if you want to feel good, emotional intelligence is important, but so is energetic intelligence and understanding that when you're around certain people who are in a vibration or an energetic state, they will bring you down. If you're with people who are always down, they will bring you down. There was research done, and there's a lot of people quote this to say, like, you're most like the five people you hang out with most. That's based on research. That's not like a a cute thing people made up. (laughs) That was like, they showed that when people hung out together, the core five people had the same thoughts, feelings, and beliefs as each other. Well, it's like that thing when people complain and then they're around other people who are complaining all the time. They're more likely to complain or gossip or whatever that negative emotion is, isn't yes. it? Yes. And that's what, that's what I want to bring to people, that that's energy. And we think of it as like little annoying things, but having daily energetic practices, you know, working out as an energetic practice, dancing as a gener- energetic practice. Yeah, stretching. Stretching, like moving your body putting positive things in your mind, those are all energy practices. And then you can take it further. In energy psychology, we actually align a person's body because sometimes the body has more wisdom than... Well, most of the time, the body has more wisdom than the mind. (laughs) And so what we try to do is, like, let's say you want to be really successful, but then there's another subconscious part of you that fears how much you're going to have to work to be that successful. So what you do is you kind of sabotage or avoid it. And so we use, like, energetic clearing to 
help someone perform better. And the results have been phenomenal. The research on it, it's been researched for about 30 years now. And the National Basketball League of America, the NBA, started implementing energy psychology. Did they? They did. So people like me, they've been using them in the NBA. I mean, they haven't called me yet, but... (laughs) (laughs) They should. If you're listening, they should. But they actually saw that not only the, the, the men who went through this, they called it mindfulness on steroids or something funny like that. <laughs> and they not only felt better, but they actually saw significant improvements in their scoring. So I thought that was really powerful for us to hear. It's like these really high-performing men who already have coaches, who already have, you know, doing all this work on their, their nutrition and their fitness. But when they added that energy piece so much shifted for them and they actually saw tangible results in how they performed. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? That it's not quite, well, it's, it's on the surface for some people. Some people are so aware of it. And then Mm -hmm. some people are like, what the hell are you talking about? And I find that anxious people are actually highly sensitive to energy and they just don't recognize it. Like I had a client and he's, he's amazing. He's brilliant. Um, super, you know, he's all into like software development, but he had always had some anxiety and we recognized like it's because he's so connected and picking up everything. He picks up everything. He, yeah. And that makes him a phenomenal leader because he can really pick up on what, what's going on with other people. But he just had to kind of learn like how to create a little bit more of an energetic boundary so that I'm impressing upon other people instead of them impressing upon me. Yeah. That's so important, isn't it? Cause it just, you can be completely flattened by other people's energy. Yeah, and, and a quick prayer or just little saying to say when you feel like when someone else is kind of bringing you down, the quickest, fastest way is just to, to kind of visualize a nice little beautiful like light or energetic field between the two of you. And I just say, what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. What's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Yeah, just set that intention. Exactly. Because like, we don't need to pick up other people's stuff to be good in life. <laughs> carrying 75 bags <laughs> totally <laughs> I love that well if you had to give like one energetic practice for someone a day or a mindset practice well what would you tell them to do or what would you do yourself every day for me personally at this point I definitely I do tapping or emotional freedom technique to let go of fear and those types of things you can learn how to do it on YouTube I mean it's all over that's the most common form I know six different forms of it but I really believe meditation is the tool to, to, to manage your energy because where all of this starts is with self-awareness. And then you actually know, like a lot of men I work with are really quick to anger and I teach them to learn when anger is coming and why it's happening. Anger is the only safe emotion. And so not allowing that energy to just consume them, to come back to themselves and figure out what's really going on. So I think meditation is the key and then we can start moving into the deeper the deeper energetics of things, but grounding yourself in your own energy is the only wisdom you really need to change your life. Yeah. Getting present, grounding yourself. Yeah. And I know it's, I know it's difficult and the people who resist it the most are the people who need it the most. (laughs) And I, I did too. I resisted it for like a year. And finally my yoga guru was like, do you want to be miserable or do you want to meditate? And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe I'll meditate. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess I better do this stupid thing. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, meditation, I just, I, I agree. It's just like one of the best tools that's changed my life. It's like it even five minutes a day has an effect. Like you don't have to sit for an hour like Gandhi. No. I always tell my clients. Like, yeah, well, it is not going up to a mountaintop and oming and, you know, having a clear mind. It is getting to know your own mind. And if you sit there and you see that your thoughts 
or ruminating, which means going over and over and over, you just learn something about yourself that's really valuable. Yeah, exactly. Write it down. Understand why. Why you're being triggered by certain things. Yes. And always pay attention to the triggers. That's, <laughs> it's just showing you when it's to be healed. We usually want to blame the other person. Why did they make me feel that way? When my question, and this has changed my marriage completely, you know, and I've been married for 15 years and I don't think I would be if I didn't do this work, (laughs) (laughs) for sure. But, you know, every time, like if my husband says something that upsets me, I don't immediately think he did something to me. I think, what is that bringing up for me? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you 90% of the time, it's my own childhood stuff. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> like it may have upset me and I'll tell him later. Like that kind of, you know, made me, like I felt, like I always take ownership. I felt this way when that happened, but I know it was because of this. But how can we work together to like move forward on that? And so you know that that brings this up for me, but it's not your responsibility. I'll work on it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. He's a lucky man to have that level of self <laughs> So if you had one book, I know you read, well, Tori reads a lot. It's amazing. (laughs) If you had one book that's inspired or changed your life, that's really stuck with you, what would you say it is for our readers? Our readers? Our listeners? (laughs) (laughs) I think Alice has a book coming out. It's it's in the works. Watch this space. (laughs) Yes. I want to say A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and it's primarily because... I'd already been into the kind of spiritual stuff and, you know, I've got thousands of books I've read, but that book really brought me back to myself. And I think it's a great place to start looking at how the mind works Mm -hmm. and how important it is to learn to manage your mind or your mind will manage you. Yeah. It's so true. (laughs) I love that expression. It's like, who's running the show? My guru, my, my yoga guru said to me once, he's like, your mind is like a Rottweiler it's very large and it's powerful and you're going to either learn to walk it or it's going to always walk you. (laughs) So true. (laughs) So guys, for those of you who aren't, are being walked by your minds right now, (laughs) try and do five minutes of meditation. Yeah. Think about where it leads you. It's usually not good places. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. You go in the spiral, don't you? And then you're just down. It's like a negative yeah, not getting a text from someone you went on a date with or, you know, having a fight with your significant other. Like, we, if we go into our mind space, we can end up at a very... We start reacting from the story we tell ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. So, to finish, <laughs> if you had to... If you live by one intention or mantra or whatever affirmation you'd like to tell yourself to live by every day, what, what is it? For me, it's how I wake up every day and I think, how can I serve? Oh, that's nice. And that's important to me is like living my purpose means helping and assisting. But I think you've got to find the one guiding principle for you that's going to push you every day and figure out like for me, it's service and each of us knowing what's that one thing that, that pulls me, not pushes me is a better way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause pushing is, yeah. Pushing is what we love to live with, but it's like serving pulls me even when I'm tired, when my clients, you know, I, I went through a lot of loss, similar to our lovely host here and (laughs) it was my dedication to service that was able to pull me through yeah that's amazing we're very grateful for everything you do so (laughs) thank you so much for joining today and um you can find facebook and instagram it is at the transformation babe (laughs) and she is (laughs) thanks so much thank you so much